you take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. A uh, Dutch theologian named Kuyper said that there is not one breadth of a thumb involved in your life in which God does not say, that is mine. God, who brought you mercy to rescue you from sin, has shown you grace upon grace to give you forgiveness, to send His Spirit that you might have power to resist sin, to be transformed, now says about every part of our lives, uh, that's mine, and I have the right to command it. In Romans 13, uh, Christ says, I have a right to your citizenship. I have a right to tell you how to be a citizen in your country. And He gives us commands on how to think about what it means to respond to God's mercies as people who live as Americans. And so, uh, we're going to read a few verses on that. Before we read it, let's pray and ask God's blessing on the reading of His Word. Father in Heaven, we are citizens of a great country for which we're thankful. But we are citizens of Your kingdom first. That's where our allegiance lies. And so, if our King gives us commands, help us to obey them. Help us to see that at the heart of every one of His commands are His mercies that are renewed every morning. It's His grace on display in us and that it is the way to life. And we pray that You would cause us to submit to You chiefly and that through submitting to You we might bear witness to You in every part of our lives, even the way we live as Americans. Father, I pray that You would make the reading of Your Word powerful, that You would meet Your people where we have needs, and that we might honor the Lord Jesus, for He is worthy and we love Him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. This is God's Word. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. What, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. This is God's Word. It's completely true. And it is utterly trustworthy. In the middle of the 2nd century, Justin Martyr was appearing before the Roman Emperor Antoninus Pius. And it was against the law for Roman citizens to not engage in the worship of the Roman gods, the pantheon of their gods, in some way or another. And particularly, it was required by law to recognize the emperor as divine. And the Christians refused to do so. And Justin was 
before the emperor to answer for the Christians, to defend why they would not do so. And he said, to, he encouraged the emperor to examine the lives of Christians. And here's what he said you will find. You will find that they, above all other citizens in the empire, were most scrupulous in paying their taxes and in their obedience to the civil magistrate, to the local governors. Justin Martyr staked his life in front of the emperor on the good citizenship of Christians in the Roman Empire. That's pretty bold, but Justin Martyr knew what Paul had commanded. He knew a theme that ran through the New Testament that Christians were called to live as good citizens. He remembers what it said in the book of Jeremiah where the Jews were carried off enslaved to Babylon and commanded by Jeremiah to seek the welfare of Babylon, the city in which they were slaves. Because in Babylon's welfare, they would find their own. He knew that this theme ran through the Bible that Christians ought to be a blessing to those who are around them, as we read last week in chapter 12. That they were to overcome evil with good, as we read last week in chapter 12. And one very practical application of being a blessing and overcoming evil with good is to be good citizens. That's what this passage says. Now, even as I say that, at least a few of you, and uh, perhaps in my own heart, I think, but what about our situation? Did Paul really anticipate this setting? You know, if, if you are here from one end of the political spectrum, you may look at our present government and say, how do you respect, honor, and submit the government that is so supportive of abortion and is promoting a new agenda that would encode uh, a homosexual normalcy in our culture? How can you do that? From another side of the political spectrum, you might say, how can I really support a government that is so inadequate in caring for the poor, who passes something and then won't even care to enforce it to make sure that it happens, and is so quick to run to war? And from wherever on the spectrum you may fall, I imagine you have complaints about our government. The, uh, according to Real Clear Politics, the most recent polls say that the president has a 44.6% approval rating. The Congress, slightly lower at 10.5%. I figure for it to be 10.5%, the pollsters must have found that 10.5% of people who are just really nice and can't say anything bad. We're so upset. We're so frustrated. We're so aware of the dysfunction. I mean, after all, <laughs> this sermon comes in its timing when the government has shut down because they can't agree on how to get things started. The Bible tells us that in every government there is a good no matter how despotic and tyrannical the government was, there was still something good. Because God institutes that authority. And so even in Nazi Germany, there were those who were, whose possessions were protected. There were those who had something good, even in an evil place. And the Bible says of every government, not only is there good in it, 
In every government, there is evil. Without exception. And this, is, this makes sense because we know the human heart, our own hearts, were made in the image of God to reflect Him. And, and that reflection still remains and it's there. And so this, these lights of glory peek out. But at the same time, there is an evil that distorts everything. And every government is just like we are, mixed with this good and evil in it. How do we respond to that? Be good citizens. Yeah, but it's so dysfunctional and so messed up here. Could he really mean good citizens in every place? Only to remember the place in which Paul wrote this. The emperor at the time was Nero. And Nero was no friend of Christians. Nero, when Rome had a a massive fire that destroyed, destroyed a huge portion of the city of Rome for political cover, blamed Christians because it was easy and no one would defend them. Just to save his own personal political capital. And then, because it was politically easy, he punished those Christians, executing them without trials and without any kind of due process. Always unjustly. And then he took their bodies and hung them on a pole along the street that led to his house and set their bodies on fire so that it would be street lamps for those who were coming to his parties. I assure you, no matter what you think of the government today, it's not Nero. In the context of Nero, Paul writes to this people who lived in the city of Rome, who knew the emperor and knew what he was like, let every person be a good citizen of Rome. God wants you to be a good citizen. Look at the different commands He gives you. Let every person, verse 1, be subject to the governing authorities. In verse 6 and 7, He says, For the same reason you also pay taxes, for you are, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. And then in verse 7 again, he says, Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. He gives you three things about being a good citizen. Be subject to governing authorities, pay your taxes, and give respect and honor to those who rule over you. You know that the proper title to give to someone who's a senator or representative is honorable when you write it on their letters. Not Mr., but honorable. Based largely on the stuff that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. How do we do those things? I think the first thing we must do is we must speak respectfully of those who are in authority over us. And sometimes that's not hard. The ones that we admire, the ones that we say are doing the good job, we'll speak respectfully of. If you are one of the 10.5% who's approving of Congress's performance, you might say, I like what they're doing, and we speak respectfully. But if you're one of the 90%, which statistically you are, you might not find the words to speak respectfully of those who rule over us coming to that easily. This doesn't mean you have to agree with every politician who's over you. You have every right, particularly in America, to look at those who rule over you and to say, not the way I would do it. That's okay. You don't have to be 
wishy-washy or, or have no strong opinions on the matter of politics. Uh, I, I personally find that way easier uh, for me. I don't have strong opinions on it. But some of you do, and that is okay. That is faithful to Christianity. But what happens when your strong opinions meet the opposition who's in power and going in the wrong direction? How do we respond? I remember when I was in St. Louis, a uh, person giving a sermon during the time in seminary when we had chapel was reporting on what he heard from students at the Westminster Christian Academy. Christian students, evangelical parents. And he was reporting, because this was when Bill Clinton was in office, and he was reporting that these students, aged 14, 15, and 16, were talking about how they wished evil on the president. Wished that bad things would happen. I mean, like earthquakes would you know, open up the ground and swallow them up. And here's the insight he had. This preacher said, where did they learn to talk like that? It's probably the language they're hearing from the adults who are in their homes and in their lives. And he said, and the, the adults who are in their lives are probably those from their church and their family who are evangelicals. And here are these people speaking so violently against the ones who are in authority over them. wasn't that long ago, shortly after President Obama was uh, re-elected, and it was overheard in a local restaurant, someone talking about uh, how they wish someone would assassinate him. Now, I didn't be the one who overheard I wasn't the one who overheard it, and I don't know who said it. And my guess is, uh, if it was anybody in here or uh, someone who's watching on television, you weren't alone. There's plenty of people who've been saying stuff like that. But, if, but according to Paul's commands, that's not Christian. What has happened when we speak like that is we've said, I've got something that matters more than my faith. My politics matter more than how I think about people. My politics have become the chief thing in my life, and here's a guy who threatens it, and so let's often Let's get rid of them. Let's hope they die. Jesus calls that not just wishing for someone's death, but He calls it murder. When you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've committed murder. And it's an idolatry because we have put our hope in power and politics and getting the right laws passed. I, I, I understand this isn't the perfect system. And that all governments are corrupt and broken. And you may look at it and even be right. Here's a way we could fix this and it's simple. If we just turn around and do something differently. You may be right. But you can't think that's what our hope is. Even if we got all the right people. And even if we got all the laws passed that we wanted passed. America would still be broken. And your home would still be broken. And your own life and heart would still be broken because we're affected by sin. And so our hope isn't in government. What is our hope in? Or perhaps I might ask this question, why should you be a good citizen? Well, Paul gives you that reason too. Look back at verse 1. 
Reason one, to be a good citizen. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. The reason you should be a good citizen is God institutes all authority and those who wield it. God institutes all authority and those who wield it. Sometimes I like to point out uh, my favorite bumper sticker that I've ever seen, political bumper sticker I've ever seen. And on it it said in, in uh, I think, blue letters on a white background, God is not a Republican. And underneath it, in uh, red letters, I think, or a Democrat. I like to point out, he's not even an American. I often think, God isn't really political. And I, I like to think of that way because it makes my, you know, very low political ambitions sort of Christian. But the truth is, if you read the Bible, the Bible is actually very, very political. The story of the Bible is that Jesus is a king and he's come to claim what is his. And he will rule over all things. That's a political message. But here's what it's saying, is that he rules now, from heaven now, that he is king now. And if that is the case, then the authority of the President of the United States came from God. And He is over you by God's institution, His sovereign power. I titled the sermon, Obama is God's Man. I wanted it to be provocative. I trust that it was. In the Old Testament, David stands in a cave overlooking the king, King Saul, who was looking to take his life. David had run for his life, hidden in caves, been exiled to the most rural areas, even among the Philistines for a time. And he was there in the quiet of a, where the king was unprotected and he had his sword drawn. And he sliced the corner of the, of the king's cape. When the king had gotten back with his soldiers, David walked out and he said, this is how close I was to you. And you know what David thought about that later? He repented of it. He said, I cut the cape of the man who was God's man. I didn't take his life. His theology was good enough to know he shouldn't execute King Saul. But he felt bad he even cut his cape. That was a good theologian. That's how we are supposed to think. The President of the United States is the President because God put him there. The Prime Minister of England is Prime Minister because God put him there. The Chairman of China is there because God put him there. The Crossing Guard at the school crossing grounds is there because God put him there. The Hall Monitor, which they probably don't even do anymore, it's hall monitor because God gave the hall monitor that power. And every authority that is over you is over you because God put that authority there. And so the reason we submit is not because the authorities are good, but because God is good and He's above them. And you submit to your authorities. You pay your taxes. You speak well of those who are over you. Not because you agree and not because they earn it, because you recognize that God put them there and it's a way for you to trust and honor God. The second thing, and I think this might even be more important, 
is that God uses the authorities to accomplish His purposes. Look at verse 3. For the rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive His approval, for He is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for He does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. You hear what God is saying. He put these authorities in place because He will use the authorities to accomplish His purposes. God uses His governments to, to wield His judgments on the world. Remember Babylon. Babylon comes in and conquers Jerusalem, destroys the city and carries them off as slaves. God had told them the reason that would happen was because He was judging them for their idolatries because of their unfaithfulness. God took evil Babylon and used it to discipline His own people for their good. It may be that what God is doing with some of those things that you disagree with in our country is He's using it to lead you to pray. Maybe He's doing it to tear your heart away from thinking there's a hope in this life but we're to begin to thinking we're a pilgrim. Maybe He's trying to train you to think of your allegiance first to God's kingdom and not to the American kingdom. Maybe He is saying to you, the American dream is not your goal, but to be in Christ's life is your goal. Maybe God is actually doing exactly what He wants in the halls of government. Maybe it is shut down right now because God wanted to work in His churches and make His churches His ministers in a way that they couldn't otherwise because we were dependent on other people. Perhaps God is doing exactly what He wants and our grumbling and complaining actually is against God and not those who are over us immediately. The government promotes good and punishes wrong. Not perfectly, but it happens here. Our government punishes and penalizes those who commit crimes. It approves of the good. For example, you get a tax deduction for giving to charities. That's the government saying, do good things with your money. It's noble and it's right. They promote common good in the world by giving service to communities, by establishing just courts, by promoting peace and protection. In the early Roman Empire, when the gospel began to spread, part of the reason it could spread so easily was that Rome ruled most of the inhabited world. They called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. The whole world was under peace because it was ruled by Rome. And you could go anywhere in the Roman Empire and be safe. And so here are these Christians beginning to spread out all across the known world under the protection of Rome. Who would later persecute them? But at first they were under the protection of Rome. It was the Roman soldier who had executed Christ who made it possible for his apostles to carry the gospel to India and to Russia and to North Africa. Do you see how God is using even the most corrupt government to accomplish his purposes at every level? federal, state, local governments, God is at work. And because of that, 
We're going to be good citizens. This requires you to take your allegiance and say it's first to God before country. To take your hope and say it's not in uh, a great American system or a great name for ourselves or comfortable lives, but it's in the kingdom of God that's to come. It requires us to submit to our rulers so that we bear witness to the sovereignty of God, that we are not threatened by what our rulers might do. Our king is ruling. And by submitting to those and giving witness to the sovereignty of God, we actually empower witness and evangelism. We're not frightened by the petty things around us because our king rules. And so there's a settled comfort that can rest in your souls even when in Washington it looks really dysfunctional and really broken. Carl Robbins, a pastor in Greenville, South Carolina, said this, Complaining and whining and bellyaching against the civil magistrate is worldliness. Obedience and prayers for rulers is godliness. God uses the church in the midst of what He's doing in the government so that He brings about His purposes. There's a monk named Telemachus. Somewhere very close to 400 A.D. Telemachus was brought, he was, uh, lived in sort of an ascetic life in the rural areas and he was brought into uh, an urban setting for a day and he went to the arena where they were celebrating festivities with gladiatorial games and he was terribly distressed by what he saw. And so Telemachus climbed down from the spectator's seat and into the arena and stood between the gladiators and he cried out to the crowds, for the love of Christ, and the crowds longing for their games threw stones at Telemachus until he was dead and the gladiators resumed but the emperor uh, Flavius Honorus Augustus heard of Telemachus and was gripped by his testimony and the emperor said no more games the arena is closed at the cost of his life telemachus changed the government because god was in charge of the whole thing dear christian it is your right to rest comfortably in the sovereign rule of god no matter what happens in the halls of power for God rules over it all, and He does so for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would teach us how to submit to those who are in authority over us because they are your ministers. They are your servants doing your will, and you have instituted it. So we, we don't want to submit to them because they've earned it, because they are uh, men worthy of honor, rather, because you're worthy of honor. And it's a way for us to honor you. We pray that you would teach us how to even take joy in paying our taxes. For at least in one real sense, when we send our taxes, we're sending them not to our government, but to you. For you rule over all things. Teach us how to lean on your trustworthiness that we might be good citizens. For your glory and honor, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's prepare for the Lord's Supper.